When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Network. Um, joining me today for a live edition of the show. Uh, I'm joined by six-time world champion, gold medalist, um, international speaker now, uh, Anna Hemmings. How are you, Anna? Hi, Ad. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Anna, for those that maybe aren't familiar with, uh, with, your, with your career and your journey as an athlete, um, more, more specifically, would you mind just maybe sharing a bit of insight around what that looks like and maybe talk us through a little bit to how you got to where you are today? So my background uh, is in the world of professional kayaking, um, not the the biggest of sports, not one that I was saying, mom, mom, please take me kayaking. Um, but I, I stumbled on it at the age of eight, nine years old. And, you know, it was something that my mom just happened to pick up a leaflet at a local kayak club. Um, it was something my brother and I did as in one summer holidays it was like you know do a week of kayak club you know go along do it for a week just the same way we would have done a week of tennis or basketball or something else and we loved it we joined the club and I was really lucky it was a really competitive club um, and they were all about racing they were all about you know helping athletes to fulfill potential and and that really uh, you know lended itself well to my my competitive streak and my love for sport um so to cut a really long story short, um, which I'm sure we'll go into, but I, I ended up um, going on to compete for Great Britain at two Olympic Games. I won six world championships in marathon kayak racing, um, two, three world, three European championships. And I went on to, um, so I retired from the sport in 2009 and I wanted to take all those experiences and the lessons that I'd learned from the world of sport so many invaluable life lessons actually um you know everything from thriving under pressure and in challenging environments to building confidence being a part of a high performing team all of that i wanted to bring those lessons and share them with other walks of life particularly the corporate world and so i set up a training consultancy called beyond the barriers and and we help individuals teams leaders to perform at their best um, using those those lessons from the world of sport combined with science and the latest up-to-date technology and research. Awesome. I know it's some of the things really, yeah, the life skills that you might have learned them through your sport, but they are just transferable skills in general. And I think these are things that we can kind of all 
link in different industries and work together to kind of help each other develop. I want to talk about a little bit more about your own journey to start with. And adversity is obviously a big thing for you. Um, you know, you, you went through a journey where you was on a bit of a, I guess, a, a good streak, really. And then you got you had a, you had a big setback yourself. Um, would you mind just maybe going into a little bit of detail around, you know, how that came about and what, what you were feeling through that? And obviously we can kind of diverge into some of your journey um, throughout the rest of the conversation. Yeah, uh, by the age of 24, I'd become a three-time world champion and I had competed at the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games, fulfilling a, a childhood ambition that I'd had since I was about eight, nine years old. And I was on cloud nine, you know, I, I thought it was going to go on forever. I wanted to just keep on raising the bar, taking on the world. And then I was struck by this illness and my world literally fell apart. I was diagnosed with an illness called chronic fatigue syndrome. And it was a miserable illness. It, it, it hit me like a train. I was wrecked, rendered in a near permanent state of exhaustion, devoid of all energy. My muscles ached to the degree where they were painful. I, I, to the point where I, I couldn't even stand in the shower and hold my hands up here to wash my hair for more than 10 seconds. It was just too painful. Uh, those were just some of the physical symptoms. Mm. The mental and emotional battle was was something else. And the doctor said that there was no cure, that I should just rest and wait. And I was dropped from the team, my lottery funding cut, and I was scared. Mm. And I should just, I know that, you know, much of this audience is a sports audience. So just to be clear, this, this wasn't overtraining. That was the immediate assumption of the sports doctors. I, I had team doctors who I had support from and and that was their initial assumption because, you know, athlete complains of fatigue and muscle ache and, you know, I mean, it was in an endurance sport. So overtraining was, um, was the first diagnosis, but eventually it was, it was, I, I was identified um, and diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, which is very different and affects at least a quarter of a million people in the UK, uh, possibly more because a lot don't get diagnosed and they're from all walks of life. Um, so yeah, it was it was a miserable time. You know, I I did wallow in in a bit of self pity and self misery, and I felt sorry for myself. You know, why me? Why now? I was still at the at the peak of my sporting career, and I I felt like I still had so many ambitions left to fulfil. And I did, you know, ask that why me? Why life is so unfair? Um, so and I went through that for a bit. Um, and then eventually I realized, you know, that, that kind of feeling like a victim wasn't going to help me. Mm. And, and I, I eventually, you know, realized that I needed to focus on finding a solution to the illness. Um, and I, and I went on a mission to do that and I did eventually recover. Just on that, you know, there's a few key, key pieces in there that I want to kind of touch on. First of all, um, it's that piece around getting, you know, having the diagnosis, um, you know, you've gone and won three world championships, got those medals. How and when do you start to feel maybe some of these some of these symptoms? Because obviously you're not going to get diagnosed immediately. There's obviously, a, you know, probably a build up to say, right, actually, I'm not feeling too great here. Um, and maybe, you know, even even maybe getting people to kind of think that it's not just a standard case of overtraining. Did you ever fight, you know, have, any, have, to, have to have any, I guess, battles with people to kind of prove prove that you know, this is this is this can't be overtrained this is something else here yeah so actually the illness when i reflect back the there were signs and 
warning signs that this illness was um, coming for about two years, actually, um, possibly longer, three years. Um, and I'd had very small episodes of the what I now know were the symptoms um, for, for between two, sometimes three weeks, four weeks, six weeks of periods. And and it was diagnosed as overtraining. And so when I eventually got really ill in 2003 and I just stopped training and I didn't train again for two years, at that point, I knew that it wasn't overtraining because I, I had been, my coach had adjusted the training mm. over that last two or three years. We'd been adjusting it. I was a lot of the time doing less training than anyone else in my group. And because I'd had these episodes of fatigue um, and inability to train over that period of time. And so I knew in my heart that there was something more more sinister, um, more profound going on than it being to do with training. And and when I stopped training and didn't feel better, and after six months of not doing any exercise or anything physical or, you know, really being able to do much at all and still not feeling better, then you kind of know that something else is going on. Because if you rest, I was a fit, you know, what I thought was a fit and healthy and, you know, otherwise in a really good healthy state if you rest you should recover mm. um and i followed the sports doctors you know advised me on a, a sort of slow progression pacing back to training where you start at a very low you monitor with the heart rate you know what sort of intensity you're training at you start at 10 minutes and you build up and the intensity increases. it was a very structured program that they helped me what they would normally give to someone who's overtraining, and it just didn't work and i just wasn't able to get past about 20 to 25 minutes of very, very light, almost like going for a walk type pace in my kayak. And I couldn't get past that without feeling tired and exhausted, in fact, muscles aching. Um, and so, so yeah, and I, I think there were, and that was one of the most frustrating parts of it was that it took such a long time to get to a point where it was like, actually, this isn't about training. This is something else and, and not knowing and and then it went on for six months before the doctors in fact anyone who gets the symptoms kind of has to have it for six months before they can say this is chronic fatigue syndrome mm -hmm. so you have this six month period where no one even knows what's wrong with you and you do all the blood tests and and you don't know um and then yes it, it is very little understood it was misunderstood i think a lot there's a lot of mystery and mystique about what it is and it, what its causes are and therefore that's really frustrating because people don't understand it. They don't, you look fine, like on the, on the surface, on the outside, I looked okay. I didn't look like I was ill. And so I was frustrated to the point where I actually wished at some points that my skin was covered in spots or that my skin was see-through even so that people could see and understand the pain that I was going through and that they could get it. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of where my question came from a little bit. You know, did you find yourself having to kind of, like, there's actually something wrong here. Can you please help me out sort of thing? And, you know, because often it, even just in general, general circumstances, sometimes you can, you feel your body, you know your body better than anyone else. You know when it it, it might be down to potentially overtraining. You know when it's not. Um, especially when you're saying you know, you've played around maybe so many different ways and uh, of training, types of training, possibly within that process, maybe a time spent on different elements of training and rest periods and whatnot it that must have been a real frustration for you at times but kind of you know just to build off build off that then did you find yourself i guess 
when you finally were diagnosed with it, did you find yourself there was almost a, a, a bit of sweet moment in the sense that you might have been it might have been a bit of relief actually we know what it is now, but also having to deal with the fact that actually we know what it is, but it's still not a good thing if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was like, oh, finally, I've got a diagnosis. Someone's named this. But as a, at the other side, we don't know how to help you. Right. And there's no cure. And, you know, it, it was the sports doctors who were saying, well, just keep trying. You know, we'll give you another return to training program. Um, and it just didn't work. And eventually I just gave up on any kind of intent of yeah, for that period of time. I was like, I can't try and train. I can't do physical exercise it's just not working so I need to find another solution because there's other things going on here um so yes helpful to have a label but not helpful to have no solution and no treatment no definitely totally appreciate and understand why that made me feel that way I guess you know off the the back of something else that you touched on within um the previous uh, moments is that having now you know face that situation you you know you've gone to the point where you've you're on a career high you're probably at, at your best if you if you like at one point um but a real key thing that you touched on is you didn't then train for two years now that's a long time so how, how does how does someone you know turn around that mindset of not training for two years having gone through all that and you know you at, at, you, know, you said that you had a bit of self-pity ask yourself why me was there a particular moment or a series of conversations, or maybe just a, a conversation you had with someone, which started to really shift that mindset on. It's not about why me, but right? How are we going? How are we going to overcome this? So maybe a solution mindset rather than looking at the problem, if you like. Yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, I think I was, I was very much of that mindset from quite early on, interspersed with those moments of frustration and, you know, why me and, and that you know, I guess more negative attitude, but I was fairly quick to snap out of that. And I didn't let myself really stay there for long. I knew that I needed to focus on, you know, I I never ever gave up hope that I would get better and I would get back to training. It, It just didn't really come into my mind that I wouldn't get back. And so I think that belief, and I think having that purpose and that reason to get back was really powerful because it, it it's what spurred me and and reminded me why I needed to find a solution. And I, you know, when I share that with lots of people in any different walk of life, when you're overcoming in a setback or or some kind of adversity, having that purpose, that goal, a clarity of direction, whatever you want to call it, it was it was so powerful because it reminds you why the struggle is worth it, why you need to keep persevering. So so that was that was part of that mindset and I think it was crucial because it did it did help me to choose an attitude of uh, of optimism of positivity of of solution focus and and I did try lots of different solutions and and that's actually a really hard thing as well because once you you know you're in the beginning you're like right I'll try this I'll try that and then when none of them work and something else comes along you're like oh do I want to try it again? Because nothing seems to be working. Do I want to go through the, the hope of, you know, the sort of, God, I hope it's going to work, hope it's going to work, and then it doesn't. And then again, hope it works, hope it works, and it doesn't. Um, that's quite hard. And to just keep trying and keep looking. Um, but I had no choice, really. I had to keep trying things. And eventually I did discover a treatment called reverse therapy. I was introduced to this by um, 
a friend uh, and my sponsors, uh, an employee of, of one of my sponsors, a company called Pindar, um, and that that treatment actually allowed me to recover from the illness and get better and and to, to be able to get to a position where I could start training again. And, and, that, and that's fantastic because obviously now that you've been able to turn that round, get training again, you've then gone on to win another three world titles. Yeah. <laughs> How did you go from, you know, going from top, rock bottom and then come back, coming back up, you know, was it, was there some key things that you picked up during your first three medals uh, on, the, on the journey to those first three medals that you kind of uh, stuck with and maybe three things that on reflection, having gone through what you've gone through now that you had to maybe change and adapt differently? I had to do lots of things differently. Um, I had to, I mean, to begin with, it was, it was really, it was hard getting back um, more it was hard emotionally and mentally getting back, I'd say, rather than physically, because I was used to training, you know, I, the training bit was the bit I loved, the bit I wanted to do, but it was more the, I guess, the fear, the doubt, the, the, the lack of confidence that, you know, there was this overriding fear that, gosh, what if the doctors are right? What if I can't do this again? What if I'll never be able to race again? What if the symptoms come back? What if I get, if I train hard and I get ill again? You know, all of that. So I had to overcome this mental, emotional battle, um, which was definitely the hardest part. And, but once I got, got overcome that and really got back into quite a high level of training, then I knew I was fine. And then I just needed to train hard and, 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 and work towards world championships. And I, one of the things I had to do was make sure that I had a good environment around me, that I had the right people around me. I think team is so important, but also the environment that you work in. It's, it's so crucial understanding what kind of environment is it that we thrive, that I thrive in as an individual, you know, it's different to you. It's different to the next athlete. And, and what is that and how can I create that so that I can thrive and that I don't go down this path again, who are the people that I need to surround myself with um, it was really important for me to focus on recovery in between training sessions. I used, I had a tendency to train and then rush around trying to do a million and one other things as well. And, you know, doing stuff for my sponsors or writing on a blog post or doing a keynote speech. And, and actually that wasn't helpful. I needed to focus on recovery in between training in order to get the best out of myself. And I learned that and I should have been doing that. Anyone, any athlete should be doing that to get the best out of every single training session. Um, and I think that was a really great learning for me because it enabled me to go and, and really maximize the training in every session. Um, I learned about the importance of recovery, which I think was crucial. And all of that allowed me, I, I, I believe, to train harder than I did before. Um, so yeah, I learned some really invaluable lessons no, no, that's great to hear. And I think, you know, that reflection piece is so important in, in any walk of life. Um, I'm just curious, you know, to kind of delving deeper into that then, what were some of the things that, uh, I guess, questions or processes that you were maybe going through to kind of establish some of these things? Was it just literally, I'm going to reflect back and see what, what, what we did, or was it more specific and uh, systems or processes in place to kind of look at what was working for you, what wasn't? Because um, obviously you talked there about being in part, of, you know, having a team around you, having the right people around you. Um, but also, you know, that, that can obviously change in terms of what that process looks like, whether you're working in an individual sport, whether you're working in a team sport, whether you're working, uh, you know, even outside of the sporting world and just looking at it in the business world, if you like. Yeah, so I did, uh, it, what the learnings, a lot of the learnings came from the, the 
this reverse therapy treatment that I did to overcome the illness. And it recognizes that it, there's a mind and body connection, as we know, and the symptoms are caused by a variety of different triggers. And, and the part of the healing process for me was understanding what those triggers were that were causing the symptoms. And it was that reflection process that allowed me to identify these are the things that I do that my body doesn't like, that my body's telling me is not healthy for me. This is the kind of environment that's not healthy for me. This is the kind of pressures that I put on myself that are not healthy for me. These are the kind of people perhaps that I surround myself with that are good, help, helpful or not. Um, and so actually it was the learnings from the illness and recovering from the illness that helped me to identify what I needed going forward. And, and connection was huge for me. I, you know, I'm, I'm an extrovert in the sort of, you know, Myers-Briggs um, behavioral pers personality profiling. And so I need other people, I need energy. And so even though, sorry, I need energy from other people. Um, and so even though, yes, I raced a lot as, as an individual, um, I did need people around me. And even though you're, yeah, I, I actually, I mean, I went on to compete in Beijing after the illness in the doubles. So I was part of a team, um, a team, team boat. Um, but even as an, even racing in my single kayak, you still have a team of people around you. And I needed people to train with. They were part of my team. You know, I had my physio and my coach and the masseur and I worked with nutritionists and sports scientists and, and they're my team. Even though they're not in the boat with me and racing with me on the water, they are the team that helped me because no one gets to the top on their own. Even, you know, someone racing in the 100 metres on the athletics track. Yeah. It's an individual sport, but you have a team that helps you get there. And that's exactly the same in business. You know, even if you're a one-man band and you run your own business, you, we all need a support network. Mm. And it's crucial because we cannot, you know, you can go, you can get somewhere really quickly on your own, but if you want to get somewhere really far, if you want to get to the furthest place and to the highest place, then you need to have a team around you. Definitely. And it kind of just, you know, sparking some different questions in my mind at the moment. I want to kind of look more specifically at your sport then um, in understanding, obviously, it is an individual sport. You are the athlete in the centre of everything. Um, obviously, you've got a team of people around you. But linking into, I guess, the, the, the topic of discussion here around adversity piece, you've had obviously adversity within your own, uh, well, you just your, your own fitness and your health, your health, health life. But as, as an athlete in your sport, I'm curious to understand maybe a bit more around how your coaches or how your training was developed in a way to kind of create adversity in your training, if that makes sense. Um, the challenges for you to deal with other than what would just naturally occur when you're, when you are out there, you know, in the boat, if you like, was there specific things that they did to kind of manufacture, um, you know, challenges for you in that respect? You mean sort of to try and simulate pressure situations? Yeah, exactly. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I guess we did that. Uh, we did that a lot. In, just by the nature of the training that we did, you know. Well, well, when you do, we do a lot of time trials, um, and we would do. And so, a time trial is a great opportunity. It's not quite race simulate race a race, but it's simulating a race in that you know you're you're. Or we might even it might not even be a time trial. We might be you know three or four of us in the training group lining up to race. Um, and we would be on the start line, you know, the, we would try and simulate it in the same way that it's a race. The start procedure would be the same. We don't have the gun, but you know, the sound, everything would be the same, right? Line up. We've got, we're going to go and do your warm up as you would 
on a race, you spend 15, 20 minutes on the water warming up, you warmed up on the land. Um, and so to try and simulate that race environment as much as possible, we would do throughout the winter, we would do tests in the gym, off the water, you know, running, um, in swimming, you know, we, we would off, we would be testing all the time. And so when you're, even though it's not a race, it's kind of like, right, right, testing's happening this week. Um, and you've got your PBs that you did from the last testing a month ago, and and you've got your target that you're trying to hit. And so there's a bit of pressure there that, God, I want to I want to perform. I want to see what progress I've made. Uh, what, you know, there's a bit of competition between the girls in the group. And so all of that is preparing you to be able to perform in the moment on day. Yes, it's not quite a race situation, but it does help. It does create that same kind of sensation that, oh, this is it's not just a, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be assessed here. Um, and that's a brilliant way of, of simulating that. And I think it's really important to do that because otherwise, how do we prepare ourselves? I used to do a lot of mental preparation um, in terms of visualization, for example. Um, I used to do that all the time regularly it was a key key skill that I learned from my sports psychologist and I used to practice that seeing a race from start to finish even before the race watching seeing myself prepare on land getting out onto the water doing my warm-up and from the minute mm. the gun goes to the end of the race and I would see myself in different lanes if it, if it was practicing the 500 meters which is the Olympic discipline you'd be in nine lanes and you don't know which one you're going to be in when it comes to race day. So I would practice and I would visualize myself in lane one, in lane two, and you know, all the way up to lane nine. I would see myself with a headwind, with a tailwind. I would see, um, you know, it raining. I'd see myself coming from behind to win, see myself leading from the front, you know, all these different scenarios so that whatever plays out on the day, you've seen it and you're prepared for it and you're ready for it. And then it just happens automatically. And, and that's, you know, I would try and recreate the feelings that I would have, you know, so it's not just seeing the physical situation, but actually how am I feeling when this is playing out? How am I staying calm? What am I saying to myself? All of that so that I can recreate, you know, like right. you say, that environment as much as possible. Um, and that was one of the ways that I prepared. Yeah, no, I find, I find it quite interesting because, you know, I, I guess it makes me think about my own coaching and, you know, in, in the sport of football and the, and the players that I work with. And one of the massive things I re I'm really, I'm, I'm a bit headstrong on, I'm really trying to be conscious about with my players is getting them to understand all the potential different variables that they might have to deal with in a game. Um, so just, you know, just listening to you kind of having that visualization process, I'm conscious. It, it, one, when did you start using those techniques? Was it before maybe your first championships? Was it in a build up to those? Was it something that you kind of developed through that reverse therapy stuff? Or was it, um, and then two, beyond that, it's how often would you then have those visualizations, go through those processes and maybe have conversations with your coaches, if you like, around whether you, would, whether you were actually taking in all the necessary variables in those visualizations, if that makes sense? So I worked with a sports psychologist from the age of 16. Okay. Um, so I was, you know, learning, I can't remember specifically when I learned visualization, but quite early on. So definitely before the first world title that I won in 1999, um, for sure, I was using that then. And I continued to use it all throughout my career. And I would practice leading up to a race, 
you know, I, I'd probably be doing it most days. Other times, you know, through the winter months, it maybe once a week. Um, yeah, less frequently, but certainly regularly. Um, because it, it not might not even be just racing. It might be, you know, learning a new skill. So a changing technique or something. If there's some technical element that I'm trying to work on, if it's the start of my race that I'm working on or in the marathon racing, there's portages. So maybe it's a certain element in the race. Portage is when you get out of the boat and you run with it and you have to get back in again. And so, you know, the marathon race is two and a half hours long. You can't visualize the whole race and I might pick out certain bits of it. But, you know, there's loads of research to show that if you're injured, you can still get muscle training and muscle memory from doing the visualization. So they've done studies, I think it was with basketball players, where some learnt, um, they learnt a skill on, on the court and they divided them into two groups and one group only practiced visual, uh, mentally. And so in terms of visualization and one group only practiced um, on the court. And the results were, were incredible because I believe that the, the results of those who mentally practiced were, I don't think exactly the same, but very significantly quite close to those who had practiced on court. And so if you do both, then the impact is even greater than practicing physically alone. Um, and so, you know, there's lots of variables that you can practice you talk about football and you know it might be the spot kick it might be free kicks from different parts of the pitch it might be the you know we're taking a corner there's so many different um things that you can practice or it, basically it's the pressure moments what are those moments that are going to put you under pressure that you get nervous for um those are the moments that you you have to practice no, no, so it's really interesting to kind of see how it maybe looks in different sport. Just, you know, just kind of before we move back into the topic, I'm really keen to kind of maybe delve a little bit deeper into your experience as the athlete itself. And seeing as this is, you know, the coaches networking predominantly, we're speaking to loads of different coaches and athletes generally. And I'm, I'm interested in where, at what point in your journey, is there a particular time that you can kind of think about where you maybe received your best coaching and maybe share, share with us what that looked like? Um, I worked with... A handful of coaches over the years and some better than others um some different attributes that they brought um and so i couldn't say that there was a specific time that was the best coaching that i received i think that i got a lot from different coaches and i learned different things from different coaches one of the things one of the things that all of the best coaches that i worked with was the feedback that they gave Right. And recognizing that feedback is is huge, uh, you know, as you know in sport, that's the only way that we learn and improve. And the coaches who were able, who were the best at that, were the ones who were able to balance both positive and constructive feedback. Mm -hmm. um, recognizing that we need to hear both, we absolutely need to understand what we're doing wrong and how we can improve and what we need to adjust and what we need to change. And the way that that's delivered is really important. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
so that um, because some people are are less receptive to it and more sensitive to it, and so delivering it in a way that people understand that this is just me trying to help you improve. Mm. That's all I'm trying to do here is help you improve. I'm not trying to have a go at you. I'm not trying to. This, this is it's keeping it objective, so it's not about personality. This is about performance. Um, and then recognizing that actually it's really important to give positive feedback as well and acknowledge what you've done well. Because there was one coach I do remember working with who was very focused on telling you what you're doing wrong, mm. which was great. And he was very, he was a brilliant technical coach and kayaking is a really technical sport. Um, so he's constantly on the side of the riverbank. Yeah, you're doing this, you're doing, you know, keep working on where your top arm is, on your rotation, on a catch at the front of the straight, all of this technical stuff which I totally needed to hear. And then one day he was really quiet on the back and I was like, where's he gone? Where is he? And I got to the end and I was like, where were you? And he was like, oh no, you were doing it brilliantly. That was, that was great. You, you know, technique, you've really gotten it. You, you, you nailed it. And I was like, well, it'd be useful to hear that, to know that because, you know, I'm so used to hearing all this barrage of, you, you know, do this, do this, do this. I need to hear when I'm doing it right so that I know what that feels like. Did, and did, then I can I can keep doing it. Did his approach also, change after that conversation? Huh? Did the approach change after that conversation? Yeah, a little bit. But his natural style was just it wasn't like in a critical way. It was just like this is what you need to work on. Mm. Um but you know, the best coaches recognize that actually feedback is a tool for confidence as well as improving performance in terms of you know technical ability or something. Actually, when we're constantly noticing what you're doing well you're highlighting someone's strengths mm. and then when it gets to the race you need to be able to draw on those i need to know on the tips of my fingers what i'm great at what my strengths are what are the elements of my races that i can really rely on and so unless you're being told that you're then going to focus on all the things you do badly Mm. and you're going to be focused on your weaknesses so I think it's really important to get a balance and that's what the best coaches did and actually to add to that the best coaches would often I think as I got older would ask for my opinion right. and how I felt and they might start with how did you think that went what was your thoughts how do you where could you improve you know that time trial that race tell me tell me your assessment of it first and I think that's that's a really valuable way to start a conversation Definitely. and just open it up. You know, just on that, you know, that was literally going to be my next question off the back of what you were just saying is, how often did you find that maybe where the coaches were seeking your input in in this feedback or this this review process, if you like, and did you ever did you find obviously you touched on there that they started to happen as you got older and later on in your career? Do you think that maybe you could have done more done with more of that earlier on? Yeah, I think so. I think I think everyone, no matter what age you are, wants to. Well, I think it's a good, even if you don't, because I think when you're really young, perhaps you don't know. And but it's a good question to ask so that you start to do your own reflection. Mm. And just getting young athletes into that idea of oh, let's assess, let's do something, and then reflect on it, because that's how we learn, right? And so a coach isn't always going to be there, um, you know. So it's useful to just start to. To, to start that process of performing and then reflecting yeah. and learning from it. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's, there's, you can't do that too soon. 
Excellent. And just just kind of delve a little bit deeper into that before we kind of move it on is, do you find that there was maybe specific questions that were asked of you other than, you know, literally just what were your thoughts, Anna? What did you think? Was there any specific questions that you felt, actually, those were questions that really got you thinking more than others? Um, I guess, you know, those open questions around what went well, how could you have improved, what did you enjoy, what could you do better, um, what have you learned from this training session, what have you learned from the race, um, you know, all, all of those brilliant open kind of questions that get you to reflect on, on the performance. Awesome. And I kind of just want to lead it back into the topic, obviously we're talking about adversity and overcoming adversity. Um, you obviously had that challenge, you know, with the chronic fatigue syndrome, and obviously you then recovered and managed to get yourself three more gold medals. In in overcoming that, what were some of the biggest lessons you kind of took away? And if you were maybe to pass on some tips for coaches to consider in supporting young athletes and or any athlete really, what would those be in terms of helping helping those athletes maybe identify that this is an adversity? This is potentially a setback they're going to have to deal with and accepting that, but then shifting their mindset to one like, you know, we touched on earlier of solution and not problem focused. You know, I, I, the, the steelness was the biggest setback that I experienced. In addition to that, I also lost lots of races. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can see those as, as failures, as setbacks. And so I experienced a lot of that throughout my career. You know, I lost far more races than I ever won. And that's just the name of the game, right? That's sport, that's life. And, and I think the biggest learning is that those failures, those setbacks, they're unavoidable landmarks. We're, you know, you're on a standard path to success if you're experiencing failure. You know, no one who achieves at the highest level doesn't experience failure in any walk of life. And so I think that's a really important point to learn and, and to recognize that actually, yes, maybe I failed, but this is an opportunity to learn you know, whether that be the illness or, or losing a race for me, it was all an opportunity to learn. And I think you have to learn that, that, that or learn that mindset that, yes, I'm devastated. I've lost the race. You know, I came second twice at the world championships before I won a medal, my, my gold medal. And it was devastating. Uh, well, the first one was really exciting, but the second time was really frustrating and, and disappointing. And, but once you've had you know, and you have to express that emotion and, and allow yourself time to be upset and you know wallow in it a little bit but then you've got to pick yourself up and go okay so what can we learn from it what what went well what do we need to do differently in the training what are the what are the gaps that i've got and how do we adjust and make sure that we we come back stronger next year and we've we've addressed those areas of weakness so that's the most important part about adversity and also you know when i think think of the illness recognizing that all adversity there's always something good in it and we have to have a mindset where we choose to find the good in a difficult situation and we all have the ability to do that but it's making ourselves look at this situation go yes it's horrible I didn't choose it but I can choose my reaction to it and I can choose to look for the good in it and I can choose to look at, you know, when I think about the illness, it, that illness helped me to develop stronger relationships because I started to open up to people. The illness helped me to, um, to understand 
the importance of connections in a high-performing team. It helped me to recognize this importance of recovery and how we need to balance energy expenditure and recovery. It taught me about, you know, I, I now have made a career out of teaching others how to be more resilient. That's my expertise now in the business world is all about resilience, um, as well as, you know, I talk about high-performing teams and leadership, but resilience has been a passionate topic of mine ever since I retired from sport because I reflect on that, those, those setbacks and that adversity. So there's so much good that has come out of a really miserable experience. And I think that's the only way to view it when we reflect on it. And therefore we learn to embrace adversity, recognize that this is a great advantage because now we're learning. We're learning how not to do it or learning what good can come, come of it. But it's a mindset shift. And I think when we can see it as that, we are then less burdened by the adversity when we experience it next time. And we've also got, if we don't learn from it, then we, next time we experience adversity, we don't, we're not any better off. Whereas if we choose to identify what good came from it, what have we learned from it? How am I stronger because of it? When we face the next adversity and we will face another adversity because that's life, we'll be in a much better place to deal with that next challenge. Mm. You know, no, no, you make some great points there. And I think certainly that, you know, that learning, that learning element is very key. I'm just curious, obviously, in, within that then, is there, does it have to, I guess, you know, I'm trying to decipher a little bit what you're saying there in terms of adversity. Does it have to be learning taking place for it to be adversity or does uh, the learning include, included in that adversity mean that it's something else before it becomes adversity or is resilience the bit where it's adversity plus learning becomes resilience if you like um i'm, I'm a bit confused um i think that we become more resilient when we have experienced adversity and we've learned from it because yes. we're all going to experience adversity but if we don't learn from it we don't become more resilient because we come and face against the next challenge and we're no better off if we haven't learned how, you know, learned the lessons from the first one, it's like, you know, Albert Einstein, who says that, you know, insanity is, def is, is doing the same thing over and over again, and expects a different result. You're not getting, you're, you know, making a mistake, not learning from it, doing the same thing again, making a mistake again, repeating it over and over. But we become more resilient when we learn from it. Mm. And we, and we learn that mindset that says, actually, this is, this is failure. This is normal part of life. What can I learn from it? how can I move on? Mm. And I think that's a really important thing for athletes is to recognize that first of all, to, to accept it. Mm. And that's hard because no one wanted to lose. No one wanted to have the injury or the illness or whatever it is. Um, but we have to not resign to it, but accept that this is my current reality mm. and accept that. And sometimes it helps, you know, to get it off your chest and express that emotion, accept it and then move on and then try and reflect on it and learn from it and then move on. Mm. And I think that's really important for athletes is to be able to quickly move on because otherwise you're just ruminating and you're, you're dwelling on the, on the experience and, and that's not helpful. And you stay in that negative place and you can't, and you can't go on and achieve. So I think you accept it, you learn from it, you move on and you build a plan to move forwards. And that's what the best way to move forwards is to plan ahead and go, okay, right, what do we do now? This is what we've learned, put it aside, we're done with that. Now let's move forwards. Um, and I think that's, that's crucial. 
speaking of learning, speaking of uh, you know putting things aside, moving forward, what are some key things that you think maybe I guess some of the people listening to this can maybe start to consider potentially within their own personal lives, but also beyond that, um, maybe tips or things they could potentially put in place to help athletes or other people to kind of overcome some of these adversities that they may be facing. What What are the tips for overcoming adversity? Yeah. Or, in, or, or to support others in overcoming adversity, if you like? Um, well, so I think that, first of all, it's really important to have, for anyone, whether you're in sport or business or, you know, personal life, work life, to have those trusted advisors around you who you can confide in not just for that compassionate and sympathetic ear that's important but we also need people who we can debrief with Mm. and so you know I talk about all that learning and I didn't always just I didn't do that all on my own I had these people around me who are all action orientated they're not focused on identifying you know commiserating with me and whose fault was it or we should have done this you know it, it was it was about learning from it so but that so the first thing is to have people and as a coach um then that's that's a coach's job or um to be to be there and to support and to be that one to give that honest feedback and to debrief the situation so i think that's that's really important i think um as a coach it's helping athletes to create that mindset like you know of what we just talked about in terms of how do we see this how do we look for the opportunity look for the good in it um, I think a part of that is about helping someone to recognize that they can choose their attitude. So, you know, in that illness that I experienced, I could have chosen to just remain feeling sorry for myself and, oh, this is, there's no point. Um, there's that, they say there's no cure. Or I could choose, you know, we can't choose our circumstances always, but we can choose how we respond, how mm. we react to those circumstances. And I, I, was, I recognized that I was able to choose my attitude and I think that's a really important learning is that sometimes we feel like we are not in control of that, but we are mm-hmm. and we can choose and we can say, right, today, what's the attitude that's going to help us? What's the attitude that's going to help me get through this challenging time? Or what's the attitude that's going to help get the best out of myself today? Mm-hmm. Is that an attitude of enthusiasm or optimism or, or focus? Or is it an attitude of perseverance or, you know, what is it? And what does that look like? how will I be acting and behaving? What will I be saying to myself if I choose this attitude and what outcome will it bring me? And that's the motivation part. Um, I think the additionally, like I said, right at the beginning, having that um, clarity of direction, that goal is really important in the face of adversity. So reminding an athlete of what it is they're trying to achieve, that this is just a stumbling block along the way to this end goal and we're all going to face these bumps along the road but when we have that end goal that clear direction that we're heading in then we can filter out the distractions and the negativity and the rejection and the setback and we can stay focused on what is important and how are we going to achieve this goal um so yeah i think those are some some key tips that i would offer awesome um Anna, we have got a question in the audience. I'm going to bring uh, the person to the stage so they can kind of get their question in. Uh, bear with me two seconds. Uh, hi, welcome to the stage. Is it, is it Umit, is it? Did I get that correct? Yes. 
Perfectly correct. Thank you, Kara. Just thank you very much indeed, Anna. It's just amazing to listen to you. Um, I would like to know, because you were mentioning resilience as one of the major characteristics, you know, to to be successful. And I would like to have your thought on whether the capability that underlies resilience is that something that is acquired at an early age or would you say that resilience can be learned uh, at any age thank you and this is immediately i'm done speaking thanks so much um 100 resilience can be learned at any age resilience is not something that you're either born with or you're not born with and you have or you don't have it's a set of skills and characteristics and traits that we learn and develop. And I think, in fact, the more adversity that we experience, the more resilient we become. And so, you know, as a, as a young athlete, perhaps, or as a young child, then hopefully you haven't had loads and loads of adversity, but, um, you know, whatever, regardless, they, you know, even as a child at school, you know, you messed up or you, you know, didn't do well in an exam or you, something happened in the playground or you stumbled on your lines in the school assembly or, or whatever it is that's all little adversities that we experience and and I think as as parents coaches advisors it's it's our job to support people to help them learn from that um so absolutely we can learn um, resilience I mean this is what I do for a living in the corporate world I run resilient leader programs I run resilience workshops I do I'm doing a talk for um, a law a group of lawyers next week at a conference um, all about resilience and success in the face of adversity so we can absolutely learn resilience and what that looks like and how we develop it Thank you. Maybe you should offer also a, a special course for coaches to become more resilient. <laughs> so, yeah. children, because sometimes I do see that, you know, it's actually there is not enough done to train coaches at psychological levels, you know, to give them tools into their hand so they can empower the children, the young children they are being, you know, trusted with. And, um, Maybe that would be also something to, to do. I don't know, Coach, how do you see that? No, I think, I think, I think it's definitely a, a great uh, observation. I think there is a lot of coaches out there who are probably going through some difficult things. And I think as coaches, generally, it's an egotistical world. Uh, you know, we all want to feel like we've got the right answers and we never kind of sometimes want to accept other people have got something to add to it. So I think, you know, if we go back to Anna, what you were saying earlier around having that, you know, that solution mindset and having the right people around you, you know, I've always said you never want to be the smartest one in the room. You always want people around you that you can kind of learn off and pick ideas off. And I think you certainly over the years in some way or another have had those people around you that you've picked things up off um, as well as some people you've picked things up off that you want to kind of avoid doing if you like. Um, the, the best leaders and the best coaches that I ever worked with in sport and in business are the ones that recognize that they don't know everything. And they don't have all the answers to everything. And that's why, you know, I think of my sports team, you've got my coach. And yes, he knows a bit about nutrition. He knows a bit about, um, you know, physiotherapy and injury. But actually, that's not his expertise. His expertise is the training on the water. And that's why we bring in 
a nutritional expert and we bring in a sports psychologist and we bring in strength and conditioning coaches and sports scientists and, and all of these other experts because the coach recognizes that, no, I don't know everything. I know quite a lot, but these people, they've dedicated their trade to this, this speciality. And, and I think the best coaches also are recognize that let's just hear from everyone. Yeah. Um, let's, let's get the opinion of everybody. And even the athletes, the co- some of the coaches that I, I remember one coach I worked with, he was like, do you know what? You need to speak up and we're going to, I'm going to get really cross. We're going to fall out. If you do not speak up and tell me if you think there's a better way to do this, or there's a better idea, or you've got a suggestion, or you've heard about something, you've read about something, you need to put it forward. And he created an environment where no idea was a dumb idea and everyone felt safe that they could put forward their idea and no one was going to get shot down and laughed at because, Oh, what about doing this? What about trying that? Because he recognized that actually he wasn't brilliant at coming up with the ideas, but he was brilliant at recognizing a great idea. And you need input from other people. And so I think that the coaches with the, with the, with the smaller egos are actually the ones that are the most successful because they're able to put that aside and, and listen to other people. A hundred percent. I think I definitely echo that. You know, it, it just brings back you know, moments I've had in my journey where other coaches have been around and, some of them are a bit rigid in their way of working and, and you know it's almost like well I've always done things this way so it's worked for me in the past well I'm going to carry on well it's all right well it worked for you in the past and it might have worked by chance because of the people that you were working with at the time and that being uh happened to be coincidentally the best approach for those people maybe maybe not um but you, you know you're right everyone's got some specialty um everyone's got an area of you know more more interest than others so I think it's taking on board those people's experiences and understanding that everyone's been if you like, been brought into the building for a reason. And I think it's asking different types of questions rather than what do you know, right? Why are you here? And what can you bring to the table rather than what do you know? Because um, like you said, as a coach, I probably have an understanding of this, I have an understanding of this, an understanding of this, but what was the real reason I've been brought into this team? You know, it's maybe if, if, if I am the nutritionist, it's because I have a, a background and a specialty in experience of that if it is someone who's maybe from the sports science team or, the, or, or doing some performance analysis or whatever that might be. And I think the way I've always looked at it is, well, we've got all these experts in one room. Why not use them? Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't mean that just because they're an expert, they're necessarily going to have all the best ideas. It might be that something that they've mentioned, which we then bounce off someone else and bounce off someone else and think, actually, let's work in this direction instead, because that, well, that might be more productive. That might be a way that works for us. So I definitely feel like it is that growth mindset and having the ability to actually accept, do you know what? I might not be the best person to answer this question or to, or to lead on this element of, of the program or, or the development or whatever you, whatever it is that you're working on. And, and having that self-conscious and self-awareness to actually take a step back sometimes and accept that is, is a key thing for me. I think it's really important to be able to, to have that diverse opinion and even if you, you have got a bunch of coaches who are experts in the same field, but you, everyone's got a different perspective and everyone sees a challenge or you know, a situation in a different way. And you come up with the richest solution when you collaborate, when you get that cognitive diversity and you're getting input from different perspectives. I think that's really crucial. And I think that the best leaders will, will, will appreciate that and recognize that yeah let's bring in all these other people and what can I learn from them and yeah I feel like I'm an expert in my field but what else can I learn because I don't know everything 
I, I couldn't possibly know everything. So, you know, it's that idea, that growth mindset that, yes, I just want to learn all the time. I'm trying to absorb information like a sponge, so soaking up the information everywhere I go. You know, when I go to, I do a lot of keynote speaking and I go to a conference and there's a, there's a whole lineup of speakers. I want to be there from the start of the day to the end of the day, because this is a brilliant opportunity to go and listen to all these other brilliant speakers and, mm -hmm. and learn from them. And other people are paying for this and yeah. I'm getting this opportunity. So let's just absorb and absorb. And, you know, that the coaches that I worked with, you know, they'd be going around at, the, at, at where we turn up at an international event. They'd be going talking to all the other coaches and trying to find out, oh, so what are you doing and how are you doing that? And some are more open than others, but trying to constantly learn what, what are other people doing and how can I improve what I do? Mm, and that, that growth yeah. mindset is really important. Great point. And I was literally speaking to someone just last night and around the idea of um, experts and how to, you know, how they get heard. And obviously it, within that same keynote speech or that keynote conference, if you're like, you're probably going to have some people that probably aren't well known, but they're probably very, very knowledgeable. They've got a lot of expertise that you might, just because they haven't necessarily uh, a, a big brand behind them or, or, or a leading uh, organization supporting them on their projects and, and whatnot but they have got fantastic information. So I think it is definitely an opportunity to kind of learn. Um, and I'm really conscious of time. Um, but Umit, first of all, thank you very much for your question. Um, we really appreciate that. Um, and I'm sure hopefully it did answer your question nonetheless. But um, I am conscious of time. And I, I kind of just want to start to wind down now and just find a little bit more about what you're doing now. Is there some? Is, is there any particular uh, events coming up for you that maybe people can kind of look into and, and, and consider uh, exploring to kind of find out more about this adversity piece or even even some of the other work that you cover? Yeah, so I work predominantly in the world of sport. I have done, sorry, in the world of business. I have done a little bit of work with athletes one-to-one, -one, coaching on, that, um, on the performance side in terms of the mental game, um, building resilience, building confidence. But my, most of my work is in the business world. I run a training consultancy, as I said. You know, resilience is a massive theme for us. I run an open public programme um, quarterly that's called the Resilient Leaders Toolkit. So it's all about developing resilient leaders. Um, and that can be, you know, predominantly it is business people, but we would be really open to, to sports coaches or leaders in the world of sport because the, the lessons are the same. And, I, and in fact, I'm taking lessons from the world of sport and bringing them to the workplace. Um, but whether it's sport or business, it's all about delivering results through people and developing people to be the best that they can be. Um, so I do work one-to-one um, -one as, a, as a leadership coach and and I do a lot of um, so I'm I'm open and available for new clients uh, on on coaching, and I'm a keynote speaker. Um, so I'm I'm currently doing a lot of virtual talking, um, obviously, but hoping that to be back in the in the in the real room on the real stage very soon um, at some point this year maybe. Um, yeah, so I do a lot of keynote speaking on themes. You know, sharing my journey um using my journey to bring to life messages around resilience and confidence and um high performing teams leadership and yeah all of those things that help us to achieve high performance um and you can find me on annahemmings.com or my training consultancy beyondthebarriers.co.uk or on linkedin awesome
um, you know, I was, I was literally going to be my next question. Where could people go to maybe find out a little bit more or, or get in touch with you personally? Um, and I just, you know, it, it, again, you know, it's been a fascinating conversation today already. And, I, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things. I'm, I've certainly taken away a lot of this and it's certainly given me a lot of food for thought. And I'm, I'm sure um, we could probably talk all day about adversity and how in different ways which you kind of develop and uh, um, overcome it. I'm conscious, you know, it is the coaches network and, you know, just by having, you know, this conversation with me now and albeit virtual, you know, you've made yourself um, part of the coaches network now. And I'm kind of just curious to know from your perspective, what is the message that you kind of want to leave with the rest of the community? Um, the, the message that I want to leave um, on top of everything that we've discussed already. Um, I mean, I guess I would just reiterate some of the things that we've talk, talked about that, you know, we, we can we can build that resilience. I think that's really important to be to be able to, to triumph in the face of adversity. I think that as a coach, it's really important that um, we're there. You're there for athletes to be able to support them, because we know from research that the strength of our resilience is based on the strength of our relationships and our connections. So I think that's a crucial role that a coach plays is to be that support, to be that um, that relationship that you can rely on and know that in those difficult times, you've got someone who you can reach out to, who you can express that, that frustration, those emotions, whatever it might be, who can be there to debrief with, who can be there to provide honest feedback, who can be there to... Um, you know to, to provide that supportive compassionate ear to help create a plan to move forward uh all of that and i think that's a brilliant role that a coach can play awesome so there's no i in team essentially i think it's about building no no i in team okay no, i think you hit, the, you hit the nail on the head anna um and identifying what support is needed and where best to kind of get that but anna look thank you again for your time today it's been very very um well, it's, like I said, it's been a fascinating conversation for you. And I'm sure it has been educational and entertaining for everyone listening in as well. Um, I want to thank you again for your time and take care. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. 
Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.